are listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. It's kind of embarrassed. I just was looking for beer in the refrigerator, and there was something called a Mick Ultra Pure Gold in there. I think my future son-in-law left in there, and it's like, oh my God, this is awful. I'm embarrassed to be drinking it, but it's here in my hand. Brandon Jaggers. I thought it was a great idea that me and a couple of my roommates go to Golden Corral. I've never been there in my entire life. I've never been to a buffet. Well, I like Sizzler back when I was growing up. I thought it was a great thing. And me, CC brought us. I did a deep dive on Linda Ronstadt. The Auxiliary Gate. Big problem. Hello, everybody. We're back, and we're recording again. It's episode 120 of the Auxiliary Gate podcast. The weather's beautiful, sunny Kentucky. I'm joined by Alan Schneider. Alan, we gave you a few weeks off, but we're bringing you back. We hope uh, that uh, respite, um, we're hoping that you're fresh and, and, and ready to go. I am. Uh, I love the racing we've had here for quite a while now. I'm a little sad today because, you know, uh, I'm 52, as I mentioned often, and music's a big part of my life. And we lost one of our musical icons today in Loretta Lynn here in the state of state of Kentucky, a national treasure. So that's a bit of a bummer. Did you ever see Coal Miner's Daughter? I think I did. That's that's an old movie. How do you movie. think you did? How do you uh, think that you is, I mean, if I saw it, it was a long time ago. It's a classic. There's a guy at work, a young guy at work. He's in his, I shouldn't say young, he's 30. He's a very smart guy. Uh, from the country, from and uh, didn't know who Loretta, really know who Loretta Lynn was. Knows the name, doesn't know the songs, doesn't know Butcher Holler, doesn't know any of that stuff. I, things like that just amaze me. That just well, I, I understand that. That, that. She, it's been a long time since she's been relevant. But the name, it's it's irrelevant. The, the name is one of the legendary names in all of music. It's up there with Paul McCartney, right, and Stevie Wonder. And some of the other guys, some of the other folks are still uh, kicking Dolly Parton. It just, it just, it just amazes me and stuff. I uh, always feel like it's, or the pleasure those people have brought us over the years. I think it's always a, so it's important for us to give them their due and stuff. I just find that amazing. So, but I know you know who she is, right? Well, yeah, I know who yeah. she is. Who, who's yeah. more important in the country music lexicon, Loretta Lynn or Conway Twitty? You're going to ask me who I prefer? Conway Twitty. Uh, Conway Twitty is underrated, honestly. But Loretta Lynn's probably more important. Yeah, I mean, she she broke down a lot of doors just from her upbringing and for womanhood. She didn't stand for a whole lot of shit. And, uh, you know, her and Conway had a, a couple of uh, great songs together. They, tw- they teamed up a lot. They got a song called You're the Reason Our Kids Are Ugly. I mean, how can you not love that, right? Wow. You didn't know that? I did not know that. I've never heard that before. Oh yeah, you're the reason our kids. They just go back and forth. You're the reason our kids are ugly. Look it up. You got Spotify, right? That, Apple. No, <laughs> uh, I can find it real quick. I have YouTube, but okay. So uh, we lost Julio as well. Yeah, the, the icons Julio keep going. Relevant to today's gen. Well, not necessarily today's generation, but yeah, maybe a, maybe a generation back. But you know, he was great. Probably our generation. I'm a gangster paradise. And there's, of course, the Weird Al classic, Amish Paradise, which is just amazing. I never was a year Weird Al fan. Never was. 
Well, homage paradise is his tour de force. <laughs> but he owes all that to Coolio, so. Hmm. Moving on. So I got breaking news in the world of fast food. Apparently, oh, McDonald's has created an adult Happy Meal. Okay, Basically, yeah, it's a Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets with fries and a drink, but you get a toy with it. So I that's not my cup of tea. No. But I'm going to give the question to you. If your preferred Happy Meal, if you, you pull up the drive-thru and you ask for a Happy Meal, what do okay. you want? What do you want in your Happy Meal? Uh, something to play with? Is that what you're asking me? Oh, I mean, what 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 would be your Happy Meal? What if you could design a Happy Meal to be sold at a fast food restaurant? <laughs> oh, that's that is an interesting. How about a a bacon cheeseburger, a Sam Adams Boston Locker, and uh, oh God, you're putting me on the spot here. Uh, some uh, stinky chips that they sell down at Bungalow Joe's. Down the road here from me. How's that? Potato chips with sour cream and bacon and green onions and yada yada yada. I'll 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 have that. What's your and I'll I'll switch out. I will switch out the the bacon cheeseburger for a good fish fried fish sandwich. What's your toy of choice? Uh, Shania Twain from nineteen ninety five, maybe. Wow, wow. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I'm an adult. So, what about you? I was going to say twelve ounce ribeye with a uh, loaded baked potato and a daily racing form. Oh really? I I love all those things. I mean, Shania Twain or maybe Faith Hill from the mid nineties. I mean, I make or you know Susanna Hoffs from the Bengals. But you know, if, if you ask me something, you know, I want to enjoy. But anyway, that's for another day. I mean, it'd be hard to fit them through the window. That's true. That's true. But they're also in great shape, so who knows? They might have squeeze through there. All right, the uh, recent Churchill Downs meet, the September meet is over. And we got some uh, things to chew on. Uh, first, uh, I think we need to talk about is the latest rendition of the Lucas Classic. It was an outstanding renewal of the race between uh, late between Hot Rod Charlie and Rich Strike, the Kentucky Derby winner. Of course, the also rans were just as famous. I think Art Collector was one of them, and, and he was soundly beaten. And uh, it, Hot Rod Charlie prevailed by a nose or a head. After re-rallying on the inside, but the the race not without controversy, as uh, the head-on replay revealed that uh, Sonny Leon, the the pilot of Rich Strike, was uh, giving uh, giving the business to mm. Tyler Gaffleone and uh, Hot Rod Charlie uh, late late in the race. Uh, Sonny Leon said that his saddle was slipping, and he was trying to basically readjust on the horse. The, the head-on kind of showed something different. It kind of showed he was trying to throw some elbows at Tyler Gaffleone on the inside. And it was a odd-looking odd race uh, from the head-on point of view. But uh, Sonny Leone gets 15-day suspension for his actions. And uh, let's get your take on this. This is uh, highly unusual. Highly unusual. It, it's, it sucks from a, from a little point. You know, I'm not – I don't – Try to get too tore up in all the things that everybody always talks about, you know, the, the hot take stuff. But I guess in this case, there is something uh, of note about it. Um, it's, it kind of, cause it was a, it really was a fantastic horse race for a lot of different reasons. And, uh, it, initially I did see some in the live pan shot. I did see, so I thought maybe he and Tyler were going at it. I didn't really know. 
And then as, as, as the minutes, the hours passed by, we saw exactly what did happen. I initially took him at his word. The saddle slipped. I don't ride horses. I don't know. I don't pretend, I don't pretend to know what goes on or whatever. Sounds like maybe the stewards wasn't buying it. Tyler was, Tyler was giving him the shit after the race. So he knew something was, was up. Um, cause the whole thing looked weird. Hot Rod Charlie's not known to really win these battles like that. But in this case, he came back on the horse, a horse that had momentum and was going by him and was just, we're going to set the Twitter sphere on fire. Um, so, you know, Hot Rod Charlie looked like one to a million to, I mean, uh, Red Strike looked one to a million to finish that off, but somehow Hot Rod Charlie fought back. But I feel bad for Sonny Leon. I, I like the guy. Uh, I mean, you know, he'll, he'll be fine from this, but, you know, it's good to see Rich Strike put in another big effort. Um, there's so many Twitter and horse player crap on, uh, out there that, that Rich Strike has to validate himself. He doesn't have to validate himself to any, uh, Sour Grapes 21459 or Mom's Basement 69 on Twitter. He has nothing to prove to people like that. They, he's got the Derby trophy. He's got the Derby check. He doesn't owe those people a damn thing. Uh, so, but that, but that said, he ran another huge race. So that is always good to see to shut those people up for just a moment or two. Uh, but it is a shame that the way it turned out at the end, right? Do you think that the, uh, suspension was adequate, inadequate? I, I don't know. I'm not an expert on those things. I mean, I know you had the, the instance with Sumi on overseas, right? And he got like, what, two months? And that was much worse, in my opinion. But then he, so I don't know. I don't know what the rules are, what the protocols and policies are. I don't. Do you? No, I don't. This is fifteen a, seems fair. I don't know. This is unprecedented in this neck of the woods. I, I know if you remember last November or early December, Rad Ortiz was aboard Mo Donegal, and he basically did the same thing to Zandon. I can't remember who was riding Zandon. This was in the Remsen Stakes. Okay, that was last drifted, year, yeah. He drifted in on Zandon and, and arrived was basically throwing elbows late. I, maybe in Johnny Velasquez, but he was, uh, he, he was almost riding the other horse as well as his. And yeah. he, and there was an inquiry into the race and, and they, they left it up. Now, New York is a whole lot more lax than, it, than they are here. And I, you know, I don't think that's a good thing. That's, uh, uh, well, you were talking about Christophe Sumion's deal in France. That he could have killed that jockey. Yeah, there'd been someone on the outside he, of him. Yeah, the one he pushed off. You know, if it's not Christophe Sumion, that's probably a one-year suspension. I, I think something like that needs to be dealt with. I, in this case, I assume since nobody was really hurt or injured or fell off the horse, that's probably not a big deal. But you know, I yeah, that, it's a shame too. Down. Because yeah. yeah, Rich Strike probably wins the race if he doesn't get into any of this little extracurricular stuff. I, I mean, he he had momentum. Hot, again, Hot Rod Charlie's not one to really fight back. But uh, you know, I don't know. Again, I, I'm not a jockey. I don't. I hate people who criticize jockeys all day long. Yeah, I'm on record, and I'll always be on record about that. But in this case, it seems like you know maybe he was going to win anyway. So, but again, I don't know what was going on. So, I will tell you this though. You know, the one thing I think about that race that got overshadowed is Happy Saver and Art Collector did not fire at all. And then, like, I can see Art Collector not firing. I could say Art Collector would win the race, but he is he is liable to run poorly. It's just easy to run a, a humdinger. Happy Saver, uh, although he did get, you know, got sawed off a little bit, I was surprised he didn't run very well. I, I thought he was the horse to beat. And if nothing else, I thought he'd be right there. I was a little disappointed in those two horses. Well, 
the drama's not over yet with this race. Uh, in the last 90 minutes, Ron Flatter from the Horse Racing Nation has, has published an article where I think Eric Reed has filed a protest with the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission Oh, about the shoes that Hot Rod Charlie was wearing. And the, I've got some, uh want to go on Horse Racing Nation, you'll see uh, photos that kind of show Hot Rod Charlie was wearing some type of turndown. Now, turndowns are not allowed in Kentucky. And basically what a turndown is, it's kind of like a crescent shape at the front of the hoof, the front of the shoe that allows a horse to get extra traction on a, on a racetrack. And toe grabs are supposed to be dangerous. Like if, if a, a jockey is dropped and a horse steps on a jockey with toe grabs, it's going to maybe cause extra injury. It also is not safe for the horse. Apparently there was a study in this article, there was a study several years ago that said that the toe grabs cause uh, catastrophic injuries. So they're banned in Kentucky. And, you know, I, I don't know anything about horseshoeing. I'm not a blacksmith by any stretch. But uh, this the, the shoe does look like it has a little little extra grab to it. So, you know, this is going to be interesting how this plays out. Rich Strike lost his first race at Churchill Downs. But that, that uh, might be called into question. He may remain undefeated when this is all said and, said and done. So... I'd invite you to read that article. You can judge for yourself. It'd be interesting to see how this turns out. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So let's say this worst case scenario, the hot rod Charlie gets disqualified, and then there's a, a post-race inquiry against Sonny Leon, and then they take him down, and King Fury is the winner of the Lucas Classic, right? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just being – I'm just spitballing. I don't know. I'm just getting crazy here. I think if you if you say that Hot Rod Charlie shouldn't have been in the race because of the toe grab, I think you give it to Rich Strike. I think you just give it to Rich Strike because the horse he fouled shouldn't have never been in the in the race to begin with. So. Well, what a tangle web we weave, right? Yeah. When first we practice to deceive. So uh, this race came back relatively slow. Did it? I think the buyer was like ninety seven, ninety eight, something like that. Still fun to watch. Sometimes, sometimes these speed figures, you know, they they put a they put a, a damper on what's another. I know what I saw. I saw a great horse race. I really don't care about the speed figures, but God, I mean, I mean, belabor your point. Go right ahead. Well, I'm looking up the buyer right now. Uh, having an issue finding it as usual. 101. It was a little hmm. faster than what I thought. It came okay. back at 101. But uh, Hot Rod Charlie or Rich Strike, anything in the, out of this spot can make a difference in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Why not? I mean, it's a mile and a quarter. It'd be, it'd be funny to watch Rich Strike win that race just to piss more people off. I don't know why they get pissed off, but they do. I think that's more of an issue that they need to take up with a psychiatrist or something. So it maybe did look inward and stuff to why they have this, this animosity towards this horse. Uh, so that would be funny. You know, that's, you know, something's more important than money. That'd be, that'd be funny just to see that horse run big on Breeders' Cup Day just to piss people off. Uh, Hot Rod Charlie, I mean, he's a fighter, I guess. I, I, I don't see him beating a horse like Flightline, but, you know, we're still a few months away. Uh, you know, I wouldn't, I'd never say never. I would have said Happy Saver would have been one to, to maybe fear the price in the Breeders' Cup class, but I, I didn't like the way he ran the other day. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more Churchill in a moment, but first, we have to bring in the, the third leg of our triple crown of podcast greatness, Brandon Jaggers. <laughs> Brandon, how you doing? 
Oh, guys, I don't know what it's like anymore to just be a member of the podcast, and now I've got a, I don't know how old she is now. Brandon has a baby. Two weeks. Two weeks. We were uh, blessed with a the golden child or the queen, I would say. We have the most exotic of children things, strollers and huggies, and I, I don't know. We have a lot of other new assets in the house that, We'll, we'll be worthless in about six to nine months, but uh, I love her. She's an angel. We, we've got a little baby girl named Eleanor Margaret Clay Jaggers. No, I'm joking. Just Jaggers, just Jaggers. But She is a beautiful she's a, baby. She's a Clay through and through, and I, I want to apologize to the podcast members of, of me texting photos of my child. That's totally against the text chain rules of Auxiliary Gay Podcast text chain. And I, I'm going to be penalized for it. I know in the future, and I'm willing to pay up uh, once once she's 18. Thank you. <laughs> now, congratulations. Uh, we've congratulated many times, and we we mean it. So here on air, we'll do it officially. Congratulations to you and Sarah on a beautiful baby. Thanks, guys. It was a uh, five long days in the hospital, uh, but it was awesome. So we learned a lot, and I know what it's like to be a 40 year old, 43 uh, year old parent. Yeah, it's fun. It's a young man's game. Young man's game. True, true that, brother. I lost a bet, actually. I, I bet somebody that you didn't even know how to make a child. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I never thought it would happen either. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the matter at hand. Of course, uh, like we said earlier, the Churchill meet has come to an end for now until late October. They ran a lot of nice stakes races. A lot of a lot of the. Uh, Graded races in the two seventy five to to five hundred thousand dollar range. Uh, Alan, we'll go to you first. Uh, any of these races that you will remember, and uh, any race that might have an impact on the Breeders' Cup. Oh, see, Breeders' Cup it might be it might be a bit of a pusher. Some I was impressed by. Who you know, maybe it's a little too early. But if if I had my way. And of course, nobody asked me to run this, this stupid sport. I mean, I'd probably do a pretty good job at it because I'd make sure Beverly Park got in the Breeders' Cup sprint. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's who I want to see win it. He's not going to run in there, but I mean, the horse has won like, I played 43 races this year, right? And like 62 starts. I mean, I'm making this up, but that Warriors who I'd like to see in the Breeders' Cup sprint. Uh, you can't say enough about the job when Cash has done with this horse. Uh, but you know, Bell's the one. Uh, they're going to go six furlongs, is that right? In the breeders, no, seven furlongs in the uh, Philly Mare Sprint. Six furlongs, this horse is automatic. Push button, you know. I'd love to see Bells of One get done. I thought Senior Buscador the other day could be a, a threat in the mile. He looked really good. Of course, it's a, that was a one-turn mile at Churchill. Keenan would be a two-turn. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of two-year-olds that really caught Hoosier Philly. For Tom Amos looked amazing. Uh, it's a tap it. I think it was a Colt, Tappet Colt. You remember, did you see Hoosier Philly run the other day? Uh, push button horse, Edgar Morales. Uh, Tappet's Conquest, I think the other day ran for Brad Cox. That's a horse going to be really good in the future. What about Gunite? I mean, can Gun- yeah. couldn't Gunite do some damage somewhere? And they, would Gunite go in the sprint? Do I don't think? know if they would consider running him against Jackie's Warrior. Maybe if something happened with Jackie's Warrior, I think. Man, Jackie's, I'd take Jackie's Warrior on in a heartbeat. I, I you know, I'm, I've never been as sold as other people on that horse. Yes, he beats up on a lot of good competition, but I mean, he got pounded in the sprint last year. I, 
proved human last time, right? Uh, the Cody's wish. I'd take him on. Gunite's a tough ass son of a bitch. I mean, he can, he can, he, he's tough hombre. He can wear somebody down. So I don't know. I mean, I'd like to see Gunite maybe try something, try the sprint. What about oh, yeah, Echo Brandon? Zulu? Echo huh? Zulu ran great. I thought Echo yeah. Zulu ran great. Uh, but you know, you, you named a lot of the good ones that I, I, I paid a lot of attention to and, I did not have a successful gambling meet whatsoever. It's probably the worst I've ever played. But I've had a lot of distractions, so I'll chalk it up to that. Um, the meet seemed like it was two months long to me. I mean, they ran five days. I mean, good for them. I mean, that, there was a lot of horses. I thought the fields were decent. There was some light days for sure, but, um, you know, Alan touched on a lot of them. Goodnight, I thought, was awesome. Um uh, I'm not real. I'm not a huge fan of this Hot Rod Charlie at all with the characters that he's going to face uh, here in the future. But um, it was a fun meet. I did get to go out a couple times. But I, I thought, and, and then having the return of Obezos, yeah, that horse is a miler. I, I think that horse can mile a mile, mile sixteenth. I just love that closing kick, and to me, he seemed like he had a ton, a ton left. We're a big podcast fans of Obezos, and uh, I personally congratulate. They, they had a heck of a purse. I think Obezos took home like 80000 So those allowances are, are, are worth it, and you've got horses out there. Ship them to Kentucky. The purses are great. Mm-hmm. What about Run Classic? You remember Run Classic for Brett Calhoun? Gosh, that horse is going to have a big – if they, he goes to fairgrounds, he's going to have a big meet, and that may be well beyond. Uh, he's done a really good job bringing that horse back. That horse was very impressive, I thought. That horse was a beast. He looked yeah. like a beast. I mean, he looked like if if he was fit at all, he was going to win that race. He did, yeah. He, he, was, he was cold on the board. But, eh, maybe he's not ready just yet. But I know they loved him, not this past winter, but this year, winter before last. I think they got a little – they jumped the gun, running him in the Louisiana Derby right off his maiden win. He was going from six furlongs to nine furlongs. But you're right. He was a specimen, and he ran incredibly well off the bench against a good field. Uh, you better you better keep an eye on that guy uh, as he stretches out, uh, knocking down some big pots here in the future. They've done a good job with him. All right, guys. Well, let's uh, we've wrapped up Churchill. Let's uh, let's go to our guest. I think he's on the line right now. You're a fan of horse racing. Over the next several weeks, you're going to be bombarded with news of stud deals for many of the top male horses in training. Horses probably such as Flightline and Life is Good. So those horses will likely be heading to the breeder shed, excuse me, the breeding shed soon. We've asked Sean Feld of Feld Family Finds and Climax Stallions to come aboard and educate us on how stallion deals work. Sean is a third-generation horseman that has famous farms such as Spendthrift on his resume, and he's helped advise his clients to purchase several top equine athletes at bargain prices. Sean is currently in Maryland at the Phasic Tipton Timonium sale, and he's agreed to take some time to talk with us this evening. Sean, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you guys doing? Very good. Uh, Have you had any luck at the sale so far? No, the sale was uh, it was a peculiar sale because there was about 500 hips um, before outs, and uh, it, the the quality wasn't very good. So the the few that were good were uh, very well sought after. Um, so I uh, we, we struck out this sale, but there's I, I got three more to go to the the rest of the month. So um, 
we'll be we'll be hunting some more. I assume you're going to uh, well they're having a sale here in Lexington, Phasic Tipton. What are the other two sales? Uh, there's a sale in Ocala next week, a yearling sale, and then in Saratoga there's a Marin full sale um, after that, and then the next week is the the Phasic Tipton sale in Lexington. So uh, okay. plenty of horse flesh to be to be looked at. How many hours do you spend going through sales catalogs and researching pedigrees and inspecting horse flesh? Um, I actually, uh, between my dad and I, we, we actually don't really look at the catalog. We, it's all, we're kind of physical based. Um, if they're not physically attractive, we don't really care who they're by or who they're out of. Um, which is, I think, why we have, have had so much success is we, we really don't care who their mom or dad is. We just care if they look like LeBron James or not. And, and uh, that's that's kind of why we that's, that's you know that's kind of how we do our our stuff. So um, does that mean you have to look at every horse? We between my dad and I, we looked at every horse in September. Four thousand horses. Uh, we, we split up the barns, and then uh, we we each make a list, and then we swap lists and look at each other's list and. We try to whittle it down that way, because um, I mean, I mean, obviously pedigree matters, but um, if they don't look the part, and you know, if 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 you're a small crooked in the mischief, you're probably not going to win many races. But if you're a big, correct oxbow like Hot Rod Charlie that we bought for seventeen thousand, um, you know, you can win some some great ones that way. Talk about Hot Rod Charlie. That's that's a an inexpensive horse that you picked out. That's uh, that one. Has paid off in spades, I would say. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We we bought him in February as a short yearling for seventeen thousand, and uh, we pinned him for one ten in October. And obviously, he's earned like five and a half million, so we probably should have kept him. But um, it's been a fun ride, and we were at the races uh, at the race last week uh, and on Saturday. And the the current ownership's been a lot of fun. They've, they've been they've kind of welcomed us uh to be you know pretend owners so it's been cool to you know go along for the ride that yeah that that was incredible that was an incredible find by you guys uh any chance that uh oxbow was going to scare you off i know i think he was really cold at the time uh probably you know when you picked him out i know you said you you inspect uh you you look for lebron james but uh oxbow was really 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 cold did that scare you oh, away at all? Uh, it's, well, so the funny story is I, my dad and I, we, we always, we rarely buy horses not agreeing. And we set the budget for 15 on him. And uh, we we actually bid 15 and someone bid 16. And my dad bid 17 without, like, consulting me. And I literally grabbed, I grabbed his hand. I go, you can't, like, this is it. Like, we can't do anymore. <laughs> and sure as shit, we, we got him for 17. And, you know, the rest is history. But, yeah, I mean, Oxbow has never been hot. Um, and, uh, I mean, he's not a bad sire, but in the commercial market is so fickle. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, the horse was LeBron James when we bought him. And he was LeBron James when we sold him. And he's running like LeBron James now. So, um, you know, it's been it's been a fun ride. Now, you also bred, you and your father. Father bred a really nice mare named Miss Temple City. She's pretty famous in these parts. Uh, she won the, the Grade One Makers Mark Mile twice, beating the males. Uh, tell us about that story. I, that that was another uh, inexpensive uh, 
uh, mating. Uh, I think your mare was fairly inexpensive. You brought her to uh, Temple City, and like uh, like you said before, the rest is history. Yeah, so um, I was working at Spendthrift at the time, and Temple City um, was running in California. And, uh, I, w- I mean, I, I live in Kentucky. I grew up in California. I've been living in Kentucky since 2005. Um, and uh, long story short, my dad would always tell me, he goes, man, you got, like, this Temple City horse is a really nice horse. He's a really nice horse. So we, we, we followed Temple City's career from the day – actually, the first day he, he was entered, and it was – he entered the track – at Santa Anita, and he was the biggest buzz horse, like, in a long time, and he was training really well. So he gets on the track, Mike Smith's on him. So Mike Smith falls off in the post parade. The, uh, Temple City runs off and gets scratched, obviously. And uh, so, you know, obviously, fast forward through his career, he was a really good racehorse. He won a, a couple of grade twos. He, was, he got beat like a neck in a grade one. And he gets uh, retired to Spencer where I'm working, and uh, we're selling a lifetime breeding right for 5000 And I call my dad. I go, hey, like, we're selling Temple City lifetime breeding rights for five grand. Do you want one? He goes, absolutely. But he goes, I don't have a mare. I go, well, we, we can figure out the mare part later. Just you need it if you want to sign up. So fast forward to the next horse sale, and uh, Tis Wonderful was standing at Spencer at the time. And his, he was averaging like 45 or 50, um, for the weanling. And this mayor walks in and I'm standing next to Mark Toothaker who ends up uh, working for Spendthrift now. And, uh, I go, Hey, um, you know, this mayor's stuck at $2,000. Like the, the babies are averaging 45. He goes, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go buy her. So he buys her for six, comes back and he goes, I don't know who I bought this for. I go, well, my dad's looking for a mayor. Um, you know, let's see, you know, we can partner. So I called my dad and, I, and he goes, yeah, let's, we'll partner. So we breed the mare to Temple City. In the meantime, Mark needs to sell off some assets. So he sells the mare back to my dad while Miss Temple City's in the belly. Hmm. And, uh, you know, she's born and we syndicate her and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, she ends up winning three grade ones, beats the boys twice at Keeneland. You know, earns 1.6 or so. We sell her for 2.5 to Ramona Bass, and, you know, the rest is history. So it's just, you know, kind of blind luck, really. But um, that's kind of how horse racing is at the end of the day. Exactly right. Did did you get to go to Royal Ascot? Oh, yeah, we went three years in a row. Um, the first year was amazing because I actually had gone over for a sale in Ireland, and uh, – People are like, oh, what are you doing over here? I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to maybe buy a horse or two. But we've got this filly we want to run at Ascot. And they're like, who are you running at Ascot? I go, Miss Temple City running in the Coronation. They're like, you're an idiot. You got no shot. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's fine. So that morning, the morning of the race, I go to, we got an Airbnb. And I walk to the local, like, Ladbrokes or, or Coral and get a 80-to-1 shot ticket on her, 10-to-win, 80-to-1. And turning for home, we were second. We actually made the lead for like three or four strides. And, um, we, we ran fourth behind Irvedia, Found, and Lucida, who were all grade one winners. Mm-hmm. We beat, we beat, um, Arabian Queen, who was a grade winner, who actually beat, um, Golden Horn, I, I think. Um, so anyway, we were all, we ran fourth. You would have thought we won the Kentucky Derby. We were hugging, crying, like it was so much fun. So after that, we were hooked. So the next year, we we went back for the Duke of Cambridge, 
and we wanted a local jockey this time. So we got Ryan Moore. Well, Ryan Moore stiffed her. He took her back to last, and she ran a huge fourth. And then the third year, uh, we probably shouldn't have taken her over in hindsight because she wasn't really quite ready, but, you know, it's a whole other story. But um, it was a great – I mean, it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Ascot's the best. She was an iron mare. She held her own just about every time she ran. So, yeah, that was uh, – that had been a heck of a run for you guys. Uh, now, I want to talk about one of your ventures that you have a hand in, Climax Stallions. And uh, right on your website, you're the managing director of Climax Stallions. Can you explain this venture and what, what, what your hand is in it? So um, this started when I was working at Spendthrift. Um, you know, I've known Wayne Hughes since I was a kid, and he he's a very smart guy and, and obviously was a billionaire. And he always said, you know, Stallions is where you can make the big bucks. And um, – I, know, I, I started at Walmack and then went to Spendthrift. And uh, my uncle um, is in title insurance. And uh, so he, he's, you know, he's got some extra cash. And we, uh, he decided he wanted to start his own stallion business. And so he took me on. And uh, we started with Bullet Train, uh, who was the three-quarter brother to Frankel. And, um, you know, that was – he started – he said it at – Wintergreen first and then Crestwood. And then from that, we went to Curlin to Mischief, who we bought for 20000 at the Kima November sale. Uh, we changed his name for marketing purposes. And then that kind of evolved into buying, like, brothers of really good horses. So that's kind of been our, our shtick is buying brothers. So we, we've had the – we have the half-brother to Uncle Mo. We have the uh, – Yes, see ya. <laughs> we have the uh, half-brother Uncle Mo. We have the um, the full brother to um, Gunrunner at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of morphed into the, the family stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, we're trying to, you know, do it the hard way, kind of. But we'll, we'll get lucky at some point. Now, these stallions are standing in different states. Is that correct? Yeah, so we've got the full brother to American Pharaoh in Florida. Uh, the full brother to uh, Gunrunner in Maryland. Uh, we just moved the half brother to Uncle Mo to California. Um, we we had the well we we have the full brother to Leo Bond, but he only got seven mares, so we decided to put him back in trading and, and gelded him. Um, but yeah, so we, we we're kind of spread out uh, across the country. Are these stallions? Do you have to work at getting them uh, received by the local breeders, or I mean, I, I assume you've got a lot of connections to, to be able to make this work. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those deals where you can't really make someone do something they don't want to do, um, but you just try to market the horse enough and just hope that they're well received. Because um, I would have thought the full the Leoban would have been a big hit in New York, and he he wasn't. I mean, he was a total dud. Um, so you never really know what the market's going to do. Um, but you just got to try your best, I guess, at the end of the day. And what's, what is your task? What are, what are you, what's your particular job in, in, with the Climax Dines? What are, you, what are you in charge of doing? Um, I'm in charge of ads. I'm in charge of uh, accounting. Um, I mean, it's kind of a, it's a kind of a catch-all deal. Um, you know, I balance the books. I try to make good ads. I call people, talk to people. 
um, you know, be a salesman at the end of the day and then hope, hope one of them hits. So like St. Patrick's Day, we thread 116 mares, I think the first year. Um, so he, he's got a big chance. We actually bought two of them, um, as yearlings. Um, they, they look, they look the part. So it's just a matter of if they're fast enough or not. Okay. That's going to segue into, to something I want you to educate me and our listeners on. Uh, let's just dream for a little bit and just pretend that I own 100% of Flightline. And I'm going to retire Flightline after he wins the Breeders' Cup Classic next month. So I want to take my offers to, or excuse me, I want to take offers to stand the Flightline as stud. So I'm going to contact Sean Feld. What are the first steps of doing this? What, What would you do? Well, the the biggest thing would be like what the price point is. So there's various different formulas on how the syndication price comes up. Um, you know, Wayne Hughes's rule was he, he wanted to get his money back in the first year. Um, but there's some farms that want their money back in two or three years. So let's say the horse, if you think the horse can stand for a hundred grand, you go a hundred grand times 200 and that's, uh, what's that like 20 million? So you would want to buy the stallion for 20 to 60 million somewhere in the, in the ballpark. And then you would do, um, you would syndicate it based on 50 shares. So 2% uh, equity and, and just kind of go from that math. So let's say you, so like, let's say a farm buy, bought them for 20 million, they would want to make some money. So let's say they would, they would syndicate it based on 30 million and sell 2% shares at, um, is that, I think it's 600,000. Would that be the math roughly or maybe not? No, something like that. But yeah, so that's kind of how it works. And then with the shares, you can get anywhere from one to three seasons per share. Um, which of course, like Flatland would probably you'd get one for sure. And then a chance to buy a second, like at cost. And so, uh, I mean, Flatland will probably stand for a buck 50 or 200 I and mean, life is good will probably be in the hundred ish range. I would assume. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's basically one big math problem <laughs> at the end of the day um, to what's figure out what, what's the difference between a share and a season. So a share means you have equity in the horse where a season, you just own the right to breed to the horse once. So like um, a lot of times, there'll be like a trainer will get a lifetime breeding right. So they don't get equity. So like if the horse were to stand for half a million at one point, they wouldn't get all those stud fees, but they would have the right to breed to the stallion once for free a year, basically. So is that standard uh, to, to divide a horse into 50 shares? Is that, is that industry standard? Yeah, I mean, anywhere from 40 to 50. It's either 40 or 50, basically. So, um, all right, so the stallions, you have 50 shares in the stallion. Then then you would open up the market to other breeders who didn't want to buy a share. You, you would buy a season. Is that correct? Yeah, so let's say for the sake of the argument, every shareholder got two breedings to it that year. That, so that's 100 right there. So they, if the horse is fertile enough, you can sell another 100 or 150. So then they would share the revenue from the 100 that they sold is how that, that works. 
I got you. Okay. And then now the jockey club tried to uh, install a rule that the, I think it was they wanted to limit breedings at 140. Is that is that a is that a thing or did they do away with that? Uh, a couple of farms sued him, uh, and they hmm. actually got the they got the Kentucky like uh, Congress to outlaw. <laughs> it was okay. kind of a funny. If they usurped it by going straight to Congress, which I thought was kind of funny. I would assume you're against that, right? You would you would be, or excuse me, you would be for a limit on the on the uh, uh, for as a stallion owner in regional markets. Uh, yeah. That was something that I really really wanted to happen because yeah. you know horses like In the Mischief or Mendelssohn or you name the sire that breeds 250 mares that would take 110 mares out of that horse and it would really trickle down to the regional markets. Um, so I was I was pretty sad when it didn't didn't work out. I understand that. Yeah, you know the little guy gets uh, taken out. He gets shafted as always. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I find this stuff just fascinating. I I, I love love it. But uh, I'm gonna take. So there's a lot now. of new. There's a lot of nuance to the to the breeding industry for sure. Oh yeah, I, we could probably sit here and talk for days about all this stuff. But uh, uh, for now, I'm gonna turn it over to Alan. I'm gonna take a little break. But Alan, gotcha. take over. Well, you know, I just got a few questions here, uh, Sean. You mentioned you own the brothers of a lot of famous horses, right? That's kind of your modus operandi. And looking over your stallion roster, one of the ones that caught my eye mostly was was a horse called Curl in the Mischief. And the reason is, is this horse is by Leslie's Lady, right? The mom is Leslie's Lady. And Leslie's Lady's had a pretty good track record producing, right? You want to tell people who Leslie Lady has kicked out? Yeah, so a couple uh, of them. Yeah, so Leslie's Ladies is the dam of Into Mischief, Beholder, and Mendelssohn, and, uh, which I actually had a hand in Spencer buying Beholder, so I have a, a pretty big, uh, soft spot for Leslie's Lady. And we actually, as, when we were, when I was working at Spencer's, we actually liked Curl Into Mischief as a yearling, and we vetted him out, and, uh, they didn't buy him. Judmont ended up buying him. They named him Headquarters, and he oh. couldn't make it to the races. So they put him in the, I actually tried to buy him privately for like a hundred thousand and they said no, they need to run him through the sale. So they ran him through the sale at Keeneland and I bought him for 20 and I remember it was really late in the sale and uh, like it was like eight o'clock at night or something and I had had like a couple of beers and I'm like, I'm bidding and I'm like, how's this horse 20? I actually thought I'd been on the wrong horse. Yeah. And it, it was, it was him and. I went back into the bar and like I had told the whole story to like everyone in the bar and they I came in and like I got a standing ovation because I told <laughs> everyone I wanted to buy him for a hundred and I got him for twenty. So then we we changed his name because it was headquarters, which you can't. You, I mean, you, when you have when you stand a stallion that's never ran, you need some sort of like hook. And yeah. uh, so we changed his name to Curl into Mischief because he was by Curl and a half into Mischief. And uh, he bred 40 mares the first year, 60 mares the second year, and 80 mares the third year. Um, but unfortunately, I mean, he, he was a very good sire. Unfortunately, this year he was shooting blanks. So uh-huh. we had to we had to geld him, and uh, he's now a riding horse um, in Lexington. And uh, I've I've been posting some videos of him, and my my phone's been blowing up of like, oh, is he for sale? He looks so nice. Like he's a very attractive, very well moving horse. Um, but he's in his now his third career because he was trying to be a racehorse, trying to be a stallion. Now he's a riding horse. So, uh, but it's been it's been fun to watch the process at least. And do you uh did, didn't you don't you own racehorses on your own? Because there's a horse I, I came across 
that uh, might have won a turf war. You've owned a few, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. We've, we actually have a, a small partnership group. Uh, it's called Fell Family Racing, and uh, we've got nine horses right now. Um, four of them are yearlings, so they're not really racing. But, yeah, we've got five racehorses um, at the moment. Because uh, I recall one horse in particular, because I, if you, if anyone's listening to this podcast, they know I've got an affinity for not just Kentucky racing, but the smaller tracks in Kentucky. So I know the turfway racing pretty well. Did you have one of your horses named Barton Hall? Yeah, she was. <laughs> she I was love a that lot horse. Yeah, she yeah. was great. Um, she tried her her ass off every time. Uh, right. She was like she was like fourteen hands. She's really small. Um, but yeah, we she's she's now a riding horse. She does dressage in Michigan right now, actually. Really? Um, yeah. You know, the thing about people badmouth Turfway, but in those maiden, those like the cheaper maiden claiming type races at Turfway, those horses, you can count on them to do their job every time. Sometimes they'll get up to win, right? Barton Hall was a great example. That horse always put in a run. I think Julie Burke used to ride it. Am I wrong? Yeah, Julie. Yeah, yeah. No, Julie Burke got got along with her very well. <laughs> yeah, and it always put in a run. It would maybe run into one horse a little tougher, run second, but the horse did get break through and get a win or two, if I'm not mistaken. With Julia Boy, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Julie won uh, twice on her. Um, she was in. She when she broke her maiden, actually, Julie was in Ireland for Christmas, so uh, uh, Ramos broke her maiden. But He's yeah, Julie won on her twice. So yeah, no, it was. Yeah. She was a she was a fun horse. You had a lot of fun getting to the winter circle up in the cold in the cold dead nights of Turfway Park. I remember the horse very well. Uh, I have a fondness for that horse. And I guess one more thing before I kick it back is I believe you're a Kentucky football fan, right? Because nothing I'm going to ask you or CeCe's going to ask you as important as that. You're a Kentucky football fan, as I get it, right? Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a UK graduate, so I by I, uh, I have to be. There's no, <laughs> I can't be a fan of anybody else. That's for sure. How old are you? I'm 35, so I graduated in '09. So you have only been really exposed to like the really the, the better part of Kentucky, unlike myself, who has went through a lot of misery over the years with Kentucky football. But they've been playing pretty well for the last several years, albeit that performance the other day against Ole Miss, which still hurts to this day. Correct? Yeah, I mean, if if Levis could just uh, get rid of the ball quicker, we would we would be what four and zero, five and zero, five and zero. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous how long he holds onto the ball. Do you get to go to any of the games? Do you, do you, um, I, I, I can. I, I mean, I have. I, I kind of get bored with it. Uh, it just because it, I mean, Kentucky people are they're so they're such fair weather fans. So it's fun when we're good. Um, but I, the one of the last games I went to, I think it was three years ago or four. It was before COVID, but we were playing Missouri. And it was like 45 and raining, and I'm like, I gotta leave at halftime. Like, yeah. I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> I'm with you there, brother. I'm not big. I'm not big. I love, like I said, I like the turf racing. I'm not big into the cold weather, but I do enjoy going to the games and stuff. So hopefully, I can get you back out there for another one too long. But I'm well, not I'm the fair to... weather guy. I, I've been <laughs> following these guys for 40 years or whatever. So I'm well. So I'm when I was <laughs> when I was in college. I had to deal with the last two years of Tubby and the first, and the only years of uh, Billy Gillespie. So I, yeah. I obviously uh, I got yeah. a sour taste in my mouth with uh, UK sports. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been a pretty good run with the football team. We're not Georgia, Alabama, but we'll hold our own. So. Oh no, Mark Stoops is the best. He's he's such a cool guy. I don't know if you've ever got to meet him, but he's he's really. I sharp. haven't. Maybe I'm, you can I'm introduce a, me one time. Well, I only see him out and about. I, I don't actually know him, know him, but he he's a fun guy. Cool. <laughs> All right, guys, I'll let you have it back, whoever's up. Yeah, hey, Sean, it's Brandon Jaggers. Uh, 
Yeah, I would love to know the story behind uh, Court Vision. I was there that day at, at Churchill when he won the race, and uh, I see the, I see the horse was a sire at some point. I saw some of his progeny come up through the racing, but uh, if you can kind of give me the background, I'd love to know the story because that was a bomber that day. Yeah, this is actually kind of a fun story. So I was working at Spendthrift, and, um, you know, we were looking for new sires to buy, and uh, I came across Court Vision, and, you know, he'd won a grade two at two. Um, you know, I think he had won a grade one on the grass at that point. And, uh, IEH was kind of dwindling, you know, through the end of them. And so I called my buddy who worked for him and said, Hey, is court vision for sale? And he goes, yeah, he's for sale. So we worked the deal out. So the deal was he, he would have to run. He, the, the target was the breeders cup. So, uh, we moved him to Dale Romans and, uh, so we moved him to Dale Romans and he ran him in the wood by mile and he ran like an okay fourth or fifth, but like good enough to at least see how he was training up to the Breeders' Cup. So it's the, like the Sunday or the Saturday before Breeders' Cup and my dad and I and the center of guys, we drive up to watch him work and, uh, Robbie Alvarado works him and the horse works like a monster, like an absolute freak. And Robbie Alvarado comes back and he goes like, what the hell is this horse? Like he goes, I, he had been on them before. He goes, I've never felt a ho- this horse feel this good. So we're all like standing around, like, are you kidding me? Like, mm-hmm. so sure as shit, we go breeders cup and like we were like 30 to one morning line, but we were like oh. super pumped. Com- we were like super confident. It was, it was like the oddest thing. Like we were all like so happy. That whole day, like we were already celebrating just because this horse is going to run so well. And, uh, sure as shit, turn for home. I mean, he is rolling and he makes the lead and tour lure is ro- rolling yeah. too. Yeah. And they get right to the wire and it's like everyone in the box thought we got beat because where we were sitting was like kind of behind the wire. Yeah. And I go, no, we won. Like, we won. And they're like, no, 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 we didn't win. We ran second. I go, I swear we won. And so they finally flash it. And he, I don't even know what we paid, like 100 bucks or something. 150 and, I think. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I, I don't think I've ever partied this hard. The sad part the sad part about this story is I hammered the double court vision to um, Game On, dude. Oh, and wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Drosselmeyer got him. Drosselmeyer. <laughs> yeah, Drosselmeyer. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So that, that was the only bummer is I didn't cash a ticket because I only bet the double. <laughs> dude. Oh. Dude, you got to take yeah. it 70 to 1, man. And, and that oh, was I before know, but... the, the, the big Jumbotron and some of the tech that Churchill Downs is now. Oh, yeah. I, well, I watched it on that little tiny uh, <laughs> yeah. field screen and I knew he yeah. won. Yeah. <laughs> Beat Goldakova. Oh, Beat Goldakova that won the race That's twice right. in a row. Yeah. yeah. That was an awesome day. Yeah, I was backside that day, and I was with my buddy, and they had they had hit the try with that horse, and I was like, "What? Jesus Christ! Court <laughs> vision!" You know, I'm like, and so every every once in a while, you'll see the uh, he's listed as sire. I don't know where he's at now and what he's doing, but uh, he started in Canada and then came to yeah. Kentucky, and, and then I think he went to like Oklahoma or something. But yeah, I don't know where he's at now. That yeah. seems right. Well, that's cool, man. That's great. That's a that's a heck of a resume to have that horse and be involved in that day. I mean, just the whole thing. I mean, usually you get to the work and they're like, "Oh shit, she didn't work. Out. He or she didn't work out that good." You know, 
<laughs> well, it was like when Miss Simple City won the Shadwell. She, I, I mean, obviously I'd seen her ever since she was born. And uh, she always recognized me, always like would nuzzle up to me. And when she shipped into Keeneland uh, for the Shadwell, I went up to her and she tried to bite me. And I'm like, that means she's feeling really good. Like when horses like are feeling good, they, they're kind of aggressive. So I told everyone and their mother, I go, Miss Temple City is going to win the Shadwell. And everyone's like, oh, don't say that. I said, no. I go, I've known her for four years. She's never tried to bite me once. And she <laughs> tried to bite me. And I, I watched the race. I mean, she barely won because Ironicus was rolling. But I never I never even cheered. Like, I knew she was going to win the whole time. It, it's like a weird thing. Like, I, I just saw a picture of Alpinista with all of her connections before the race. And they were, like, smiling, high-fiving. Like, when you know your horse is going to run good, it's it's almost better than winning. Like it's so hard to know when your horse is going to run good, but when you know when you know you know, and it's like it's it's such a great feeling because it's so hard to win races. And uh, but yeah, it's just cool to hear stories and see other people's you know same sort of stories about it. Now, will uh, when Friday and Saturday come up, are you going to be on the grounds at Keeneland? Uh, depending on the weather, um, I have to, I have to drive to Ocala on Sunday, so I'll probably stay home on Saturday. But I'm going to try to get out on Friday. But um, if it's good weather, it gets too crowded. I'm kind of an old curmudgeon when it comes to crowds. <laughs> <laughs> Anything our listeners should be looking for that that are running Friday and Saturday? Um, I actually the entries came out today for Friday. I actually haven't oh, been yeah. able to really. I haven't really been able to come through them, but. Um, yeah, unfortunately, no. <laughs> no problem. CC? Hey, Sean, I got one more question for you before we let you go. Uh, have you seen an uptick in your business? or in, it, it seems like the uh, there was a ton of million-dollar yearlings at, at Keeneland last month. Uh, do you see an uptick in the business, uh, your personal business or the industry in general? or, or, or Where are you on all of this? Um, the, the industry is uh, shrinking at kind of an alarming rate. Um, which is, it's, it's hard to say that when you're in it like I am. But the, when the full crop keeps shrinking, the, the, the distance between the haves and have nots is getting bigger and bigger. Um, and which isn't a good thing for the business overall. But until we can get more people to breed horses, which is why I started Full Adventure. I don't know if you guys noticed that or not, but we really need more horses to be bred to, sustain this business because the the smaller the full crops get the le- the less tracks that'll be open the less i mean it's just it's going to destroy the business and because it, it's kind of cannibalizing itself right now um so it's and it, it has nothing to do with hissa or hazar or however people say it. it it's really it goes down to the the full crop shrinking um and that's why there's been more million dollar horses because they are they stand out so much more than than before. Um, so that's it's it's really concerning to me, and I, I'm hoping people will start opening their eyes to getting the full crop bigger um, because it's it's not good. Is that a case of more owners bidding on less horses, less good? Owners? No, I I don't I really don't. People think that's the problem, just like people think. You know, Chad Brown trains too many, or there needs to be stall limits. That's really not the problem. It's the 
the, the, the full crop is so small. I mean, it's literally more than half of what it used to be 15 years ago. And so, you know, and there's less, there are less owners, but you're not going to make Peter Brandt give 15 horses to some guy he doesn't want to give them to. He'll just get out of the business. Right. Um, so we just need more horses out there that are quality, um, which is easier said than done. But um, I, I really believe the, the the haves and have-nots is getting too too big of a gap um, right. at the, at the moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely enthusiasm. There's a lot of new owners in the game. The problem is there's not a not a not not a lot of new breeders. Um, yeah. Because uh, like you go to a horses of racing age sale, and horses that are getting beat for made in forty are selling for eighty five thousand, and it makes no sense. Um, it, it just goes back to the lack of horse flesh out there to really regulate the. I mean, the supply and demand just out of whack is basically at the end of the day um, what's going on. Okay. All right. That's the Sean Failed from Failed Family Finds and Climax Stallions. Both of those have uh, websites, their own websites, uh, and then. Uh, can you find out more about Foal Adventure? Yeah, it's foaladventure.com. Um, it's more or less uh, only fans, but for full pictures, uh, to, be quite, <laughs> to be quite frank. Cool. Uh, but we're trying to educate people on how, you know, how horse breeding, you know, people think there's a lot of barriers to entry to the horse business, and it really, there really aren't. You just have to buy a mare and pay a stud fee, and right. you're a horse breeder. And uh, there's lots of lucrative regional market, um, you know, uh, awards and stuff, uh, which is goes back to the the mayor cap where the 140 would help the regional markets because the regional stallions need some help too. But like you can breed, I mean, the New York program, the California program, and the and the Maryland program are outstanding for uh, breeders awards. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, just trying to educate people on how lucrative it can be because horse racing is not very lucrative in the grand scheme of things but it can be all right well folks uh this guy knows his way around a horse so if, uh I'm, I'm sure he's willing to take on some new clients so uh so look him up uh, this is sean feld and sean we're we're grateful that you joined us this evening and and go out there and pick out some horses next week yeah i'll try to find the next triple crown winner for sure thank you sean yeah thank you hey. Thanks, guys. Okay, that was Sean Feld. A very interesting conversation. I, I adore the breeding business. I, I can't get enough of it. But uh, that was uh, that was fun. Brandon, uh, if you were getting ready to enter stud for the first time this year, what would your stud fee be? I don't know. By the by, the judge of my new daughter, I would say it'd be a hundred grand. <laughs> what farm would you stand at? <laughs> Probably Claiborne. Old, majestic, where, where everybody wants to be. Old yeah, I money. Guess, I would stand probably like for five hundred dollars at a at a farm in Idaho. <laughs> Nobody would quarter, want to breed to me. Quarter horses, right? More like like pintos. <laughs> but a bunch. Appaloosas. All right, uh, big uh, big weekend of Keeneland coming up. They've yeah. already drawn Friday. Just unbelievable. Full fields. Alcibiades draws fourteen. The Jessman, I think, drew twelve for two year old. First time they've ever run the Jessman on Friday. Two year old fillies. Uh, and then of course the Phoenix. The Phoenix came up kind of light, but uh, it still did. I did. Yeah, I did see it. 
The horse that won it last year is in a special reserve, right? Special and I reserve. believe yeah. the rest of it's kind of, eh, you know, but you never know. You never know. Well, special reserve nearly won the sprint last year, right? Right off of this, uh, off of his win in the Phoenix. They run third, maybe. I'm going to say because it was a low. Aloha West and the horse in California. I can't That's think right. of the horse's yeah, name. I think Special Reserve was third or fourth or something like that. So he was, yeah, yeah he ran big off of that race. But, uh, and of course, Saturday is going to have the Breeders' Futurity and the Shadwell Turf Mile, which, uh, Wise Dan won the Shadwell Turf Mile mm-hmm. more than one occasion. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it, fun racing, fun handicapping. Uh, uh, before we go, I, I, I did read an article. We're in perilous times, apparently. I read an article about uh, how nuclear war would reverse the effects of global warming. I, my question to you guys before we sign off, but what kind of effect would nuclear war have on the uh, horse racing industry? Uh, bad. Uh, I'm going to guess. Is, is that fair to say? <laughs> I mean, it's probably down. <laughs> it's already down. I don't know what racetracks would be. What racetracks do you think would be most uh, affected by uh, outside? Probably all. Of I them. don't think Ellis would have a, would stand a chance. I disagree. I disagree. Go ahead. Do you have a reasoning for it? Well, I think the grandstand would turn to dust. I think the grandstand's close to turning to dust anyway. Well, I'm not saying that, but see, here's the thing that Ellis might have as an advantage over the other tracks is that you've seen the coleslaw that they sit out, right? That coleslaw they sit out in the open on the lower level for the, I guess, for hot dogs or sausages or whatever. Right. If that, if that coleslaw can withstand that kind of, uh, rugged midwestern heat and the flies flying around and stuff i'm sure nuclear war would be no problem right i mean that small will be there after after the mushroom clouds wouldn't you think kentucky, I, I would, huh? downs would be standing because there's nothing there to, to anything that would affect the racing industry that would that would crumble that's true and then but the, well, then the ellis the, if you know the clientele of ellis park those are the rugged Salt of the earth guys who are prepared for anything, right? I think they, I think those guys would handle it pretty well, you know. But outside, the rest of the tracks, I don't know. Maybe Kentucky Downs. I don't know. Churchill's turf course got nuked, and they didn't handle that well. So uh, it's coming back, though. We it does look pretty they, good. Yeah, I think they sprayed a bunch of manure on it. Right. <laughs> I gotta give them credit. Churchill, but despite not having turf rates, put on a heck of a meet. That's true. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. I hope. I hope the turf course can uh, get up and running though in November because that, that makes that meet a whole lot better. It, it kind of got monotonous last fall. Yeah. It was pretty rough when you're running, you know, five days a week and you're running dirt races every every single race. Being a short meet and coming off the all-turf Kentucky downs, I think it it helped them out a little bit, right? So, yeah. but they didn't run a ton of turf racing in November anyway, but hopefully they can run some. Yeah. So we'll see. But anyway, Keeneland first. Keeneland first, so. All right, we're going to sign off now, but uh, anything else that anybody wants to declare? I don't uh, – Brandon, I don't have anything to declare. I, you know, just hope to get the next couple of meets, Keeneland Church will go well, and then we get the, we get the new turf way, and I'm looking forward to all of it and, and such. So, Yeah, I, I – you know, I saw Joe Talamo at the supermarket uh, this week, you know, because I've been taking this leave of absence. I'm on PTO, they call it, but I'm still working every day. But uh, when I saw him, I was like, man, I wonder who he's got in upcoming races at Keeneland. Well, he's got a horse in the Alcibiades for Rigby Racing, Phil Bauer, called Zagera. Is that how you pronounce it, CC? But uh, this is a turf horse, and he's coming over for dirt. But Julian's off the mount, and uh, Joe Talbot takes the mount, so I'll be playing that in the Alcibiades. 
So the whole I met the guy at the grocery store angle. That's uh, right. See, see, that's good. I like it. I like it. Here's the water cooler. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I think we should uh, put a stop yeah. to this one. We Definitely. Just, we need to throw in the towel. Uh, on behalf of Alan Schneider and Brandon Jaggers, CC brought us reminding you the gambling money ain't got no home.